0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions.
1: Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app.
2: Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon.
3: Good morning, Liz. It's uh, it's great to be with you this morning, and I hope you had a good weekend um, and a good start to your week. Uh, we're, we're excited to welcome today Attorney Francis Springer, and it's always a pleasure to have him on the show. Um uh, attorney Springer, good morning. Uh Hello. criminal defense is among it, it's great to have you, Francis. Thank you. It's uh, good to good, be here. Now you do criminal defense among many of your areas of practice, and um and we'll be focusing on on self-defense today. Um uh, but you have a background in law enforcement as well. So you've seen it, you've seen this from both sides, both the uh the legal uh you know, the, the side of law enforcement and then the legal process side as a defense attorney. How does your experience as a police officer help inform your work as a defense attorney?
0: I I think in situations specifically that we're discussing today, when uh, lethal force is used, um, my history with law enforcement involved training. So uh, I was involved in firearms training and other uses of force. So I can generally identify the type force that was used and see if it's justified. Uh, And of course, I don't testify, obviously, we've got some experts that will come in and do that, but it kind of helps me understand the whole situation uh, maybe a little better than somebody that's not been there has well that,
3: I mean it's, again, that's just such a great background to have for this and for the show, and so let's start with uh, you know our topic, which is self-defense and section 97 ninety seven three15 of Mississippi's annotated Code says that one may use force even to the extent of it causing another's death if the context of the situation presents a reasonable risk of suffering death or serious injury or being the victim of a felony at the hands of one of the one against whom the person acts. Right, so we're going to talk about that, but what exactly does that mean generally?
0: Generally, that means that people have a right to protect and defend themselves, and that extends uh, to others that they're in the presence of in some situations, obviously. Uh, Mississippi has codified it specifically into the castle doctrine which we'll discuss in a moment uh, but it also applies to what's known as stand your ground and which is a little different from the castle doctrine but overall self-defense is just what it says it's the uh, ability and the legal right to defend yourself from harm well you
3: know, are, so are there exceptions to that rule it seems like you know because it seems like there might be situations where is defending themselves but they themselves are, are not really a good actor
0: unfortunately i guess or fortunately depending on which side you're on the question of lawful self defense could come down to a jury question it's not saying someone couldn't be charged with uh defending themselves the acts of defending themselves are a lot of things to look at but specifically with respect to the castle doctrine some of the exceptions there would be uh law enforcement officers you know in the performance of their duty uh if they serve a search warrant something like that on the house obviously that would not be protected uh, it also accepts using force against a cohabitant of the same place. Uh, so those are just two exceptions that come to mind. So there are a couple.
2: We're talking today about self-defense. We would love for you to send us your questions to our email address, legalterms at org, And... I guess, you know, one thing, Professor Gershon, I'm curious about, you know, you talk about the annotated law. So is that that's what our legislature passes? Or is there a a special executive committee or something who makes uh, the codes?
3: Well, that's a great question, Liz. and and really, the the legislature passes the actual statute, and then the annotated code especially for us lawyers, it's helpful. We'll have uh, cases and other, uh, you know, definitionals sections that are, are annotations to that code to help you understand what the, what the code means. And for a lot of states, uh, then the, 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 annotated code becomes the official version of the code. It depends on the state um, more important when you're writing a law review article than pretty much any, anything else, but um, you know, or citing uh, the the code in a brief. So, the annotated code is exactly what it says. I mean, it's it's the code itself, and then annotations around it. Um, you know, I don't know some 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 people's Bibles have you know footnotes, so that'd be like an annotated Bible would be a
0: similar kind of thing. And if I may, Liz, the the code that Mississippi has now is the code of 1972, and it's been uh, never been totally completely rewritten like it was in 72. Before that it was a code of 42, uh, but the annotations have come obviously, since 72, so there's quite a few.
2: Lot, You know, lots of have, I guess, I don't know, have, have has self-defense changed in the last 50 years?
0: The attitude, I guess I would say, of society against self-defense or for self-defense, <clears throat> excuse me, has changed a little bit, uh, particularly within the last probably decade. It's become much more of a focus uh Personally, I think it's because people are seeing and hearing more. I don't necessarily think crime is more or worse than it was before, but thanks to social media, things like that, it's uh, pretty much something that we see constantly. So it does cause some apprehension in in people.
2: I, I suppose if you hear about an intruder or a crime in Minnesota, then that makes people in Mississippi think so. Even if you aren't in a high crime area, if you just hear about it, somewhere else in the country or in the world because we have uh 24-hour news now well i guess we had it well, not 50 years ago but y- y- it makes you more aware and s- a conscious of your self-defensiveness
0: true. true the same actions you know that someone could take in minnesota someone could take in mississippi so uh that's that's not necessarily an irrational concern when they see that it's a good point point.
3: And Francis, would it be fair to say, right. as a defense attorney and as a former uh, police officer, that it's better that people don't go into situations expecting to use self-defense? Right. I mean, I think that's that's part of the problem. If you go into, you know, a, a situation where there, you know there's going to be uh, potential conflict, and you carry a deadly weapon with you into that conflict, are, are you really? Is that really self-defense? And from an attorney's point of view.
0: Like everything else in the law, it depends. It depends. Uh, I love
2: it. It depends. (laughs) It depends. Uh,
0: And that really is a good reason to try to avoid a situation like this because you don't know what the facts will reveal themselves to be at the end. Uh, Kind of the philosophy I've taken personally since I've left law enforcement is if I can prevent something or get away from it, that's my goal. Uh, if I can save someone else's life in the process, I'll, I'll be glad to do that if I can. But I don't necessarily go looking for it. And the next thing about, you know, the Castle Doctrine is you have to have legal right to be where you are when you use it. It has to be your home, your business, your place of employment, uh, your vehicle. So it can't be used just anywhere. You've got to have a legal right to be where you are.
2: Our host is Professor Richard Gershen from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Now, if you would like to take some time to read over information about self-defense, Professor Gershon mentioned it. It's Mississippi Section 97-3-15: Homicide, justifiable homicide, use of defensive force, duty to retreat, from the Mississippi Code of 20 of 1972, and we'll have a link on the show information for this broadcast. For that information, this morning we're talking about self-defense with our guest, Attorney Francis Springer.
3: And it's such great information, Liz. And, and, I, and, you know, Francis, you mentioned the Castle Doctrine. Um, and so tell us, what exactly is the Castle Doctrine?
0: The Castle Doctrine is, is something that was, actually, I don't know when the term first came up, but I began hearing it, I think, about a decade ago or so. And it's the concept of pr- defending one's home. In some states, there was a duty to retreat before using force against force, and that created a lot of problems. Uh, Although I do think it's best to avoid anything you can. I don't think someone should have to run from their house if they're they're being, you know, attacked or something before they use force. So what Mississippi did was codify that. They put it into the statute uh, that Liz was mentioning a a moment ago, ninety-seven. 315, and they basically said that if a person's in their house, business, uh, place of employment, or vehicle, and they have a right to be there, and someone is breaking in, that is presumed that that person is there to do harm, to either kill them, harm them, or, or commit a violent felony. And at that point, if the homeowner or whoever's there has that belief, using deadly force against that person is justified. And since then, the courts have have ruled that it wouldn't apply only in uh, if the person was killed, which the statute pretty much states the homicide. The Supreme Court has extended that to injuries. Uh, Say someone breaks in my house and I shoot them and fortunately don't kill them, uh, the same law would apply.
2: And I'm guessing there wasn't a man named Mr. Castle. I'm assuming it's a, a man's home is his castle. You defend your castle, and that's why it's called Castle Doctrine.
0: That, that's what I think. Okay. And uh, it's uh, you know, man's home is his castle, I guess, or her castle. So we've got a right to be comfortable in that.
2: I just wanted to make sure there wasn't a Mr. Castle I wasn't given credit to.
0: Not that I'm aware of.
3: Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's interesting because I've, I've actually heard uh, – I was at a neighborhood meeting, and someone said, "Well, you know, if somebody, if you, if you shoot somebody, drag them into your house, and that way you can uh, invoke the castle doctor. Would you, would you be wanting to defend that case, Francis?
0: Uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> what anyone should do, if they do have to use this, in my opinion, is if it's safe to do so, try to provide medical help, because uh, it would be much better in the whole scope of things if this person uh, doesn't die." but if if they do there's no no way that you need to be uh handling the crime scene. Definitely do not move the person or anything else. You know you need to get law enforcement there and let them do an investigation because you may well have to defend your your actions and you don't want to have manipulated the crime scene, so definitely don't drag the body back inside and also you
3: know you the thing about the castle doctor so let's say that i somebody's been breaking into my house. And, uh, I, you know, I got a ring camera or some camera, and I see them breaking in. So I'm not there, but I set up some type of trap for them. The uh, home alone injure theory. Where they break in. Exactly that kind of thing. Um, would that qualify for the castle doctrine if someone was killed, if they were breaking into my house, and I set up a spring spring trap or something like that? Uh,
0: more than likely not. I don't think that's come up in since the castle doctrine has been put into law in Mississippi. But generally, something like that is frowned upon because you don't know who's going to be coming in. That could be a firefighter, you know. It could be you know anyone else. It could be a child, and you don't want to deliver fatal uh, or deadly force against someone that's not necessarily threatening another person. In an empty home, uh, there's no way a homeowner could say that they were threatened if they weren't home. So that would not be a uh, an advisable thing.
2: So it's not your home that's threatened; it's your your person,
0: is you in the home, basically. Yeah, and one of my
3: favorite first cases in law school that I that we taught was a, a case called Catco versus Brian where a guy did exactly that and set up a spring gun, and he ended up being sued when uh, he injured the person who broke in because he injured that person, and uh, he he himself wasn't threatened. So you could even be sued by the. Intruder.
0: Right. I I recall that case and uh, there have been a couple of others I've heard about that have had those but they never used them, thankfully. Uh, you know, there's there's the old urban legend that the burglar breaks in the house, cuts his finger, whatever, gets arrested and sues the homeowner. Uh that's not gonna happen because this person is, is a criminal. However, if something like the the uh spring gun was used that takes a life where a life shouldn't be taken. Uh, there will be liability there. If the Castle Doctrine doesn't apply, there's there's very likely to be liability against the homeowner.
3: Is it fair to say that we we elevate uh, people and lives over property generally in the law and that that's a pretty safe assumption? So if it's just a matter of protecting your property as opposed to yourself, then then the the level of force is certainly different.
0: Absolutely, again, you know the the statute says that the person has to have the the fear that they're going to be harmed or that a serious felony is going to be committed in the house against them or on the property that they, that comes into the the statute. So if they're just vandalizing a house, something like that, this is not going to apply.
2: We're talking with Attorney Francis Springer about self-defense and the Castle Doctrine. We've got a call from Hernando. Let's go to Mike. Mike, thanks for calling in today. What's your comment or question?
1: Uh, Regarding the Castle Law, uh, I moved here from Colorado 20 years ago, and the people I've talked to around here, and maybe their misconception is ignorance of the law, but they have told me that if somebody's on your property, not just in your house, but in on your property they're holding a gun at you and they're going to kill you, that you have the right to uh, dispatch them uh, under the castle law. But apparently that's not true. They have to be in your residence. Is that right? Uh,
0: no, not necessarily, and I apologize if I wasn't clear on that. It has to be somewhere that you have a legal right to be. And if you're outside your house and someone approaches you, uh, with the intent to harm you or kill you, you have every right to defend that, and that they even applies if that 's not on your property. that could be you know uh, in a mall or you know walking down the street as long right. as you 're in a place that you legally have a right to be, and someone attempts to use force against you, you have the right to counter that force uh, with deadly okay. force or whatever's necessary so uh, if i was if I was unclear about that, I apologize, but the castle doctrine specifically states to property that you have, and uh, if it's on the property, that would arguably apply to the Castle Doctrine, but that could also okay. be a place of employment, uh, vehicle, business, things like that.
1: All right. I was confused because I was told that if somebody comes on your property in your yard and they have a gun aimed at you and you have to defend yourself, don't worry, the Castle lot will cover you. So now thanks for clarifying that because I've often wondered if I had to be in the house and they break in or if they're outside on the porch and they're aiming the gun at me, and I'm like, well, good Lord.
0: I think anytime,
1: okay, I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you so much.
0: Sure. sure. Just to follow up on that, I think any time a person aims a gun at you, as long as you're somewhere you're supposed to be and you've not done anything wrong, you've got the right to, to counter that as best you need.
2: Let's go to Tim, who's called in. Tim, we're glad you've called in, to in legal terms today. What's your comment or question?
1: Um, my comment was, what if your um, neighbor's house is getting broken into, and you go out over there with your gun and try to stop it? Would that castle law cover you for that? Or
0: Specifically that, without, without more facts, I don't think the castle doctrine is going to cover that. Uh, now, if, say you had a neighbor that you knew was helpless and uh, couldn't defend themselves, and you saw someone going in where you thought they were going to try to harm that person. It's really going to be fact-specific, but there could be an instance there where the Castle Doctrine might apply to another person. Uh, I don't believe that's been tested yet by the Supreme Court, and the statute doesn't specifically say that. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a decision anybody has to make. You know, are we going to help someone or just stand by while someone gets hurt? It's a, it's a tough call.
2: Because the person breaking in might not have any weapons at all to do you bodily harm they may just be looking for the family silver right and not intending harm I mean it, or it, it could, could be a bad guy but just not a real bad guy
0: or could, could be an extended family member trying to get in they couldn't reach the person so you really have to identify what's going on before you can you know take an action such as that
2: Tim did that answer your question yes, ma'am. all right thank you we're thank so you, glad Tim. you've called in today
0: and, and Francis I'm glad
3: you pointed out that you know if you're someplace you're entitled to be and somebody attacks you, you have the right to defend yourself. I mean, so what the castle doctrine does is just create a presumption in your own home, maybe a a stronger presumption that you were in fact defending yourself. If somebody's in your home, is that a fair way to put it? Because self-defense applies anywhere.
0: It, it is. It, it gives the presumption that anyone that, that comes into your property like that is there to hurt you. They're either there to kill you or, or commit a serious felony against you. So you really don't have to stop and, and try to figure that out because uh, sometimes that hesitation could cost you your life. Uh, but at the same time, you need to identify you know, what your target is You know, because you definitely don't want to – kill a friendly, you know, friend or family or something like that, or, or maybe even a, a delivery person, depending on what time of day it is. So it's always best to do everything you can to identify what's going on before you take action.
2: That college kid who's coming home and forgot their key
0: or something. Unfortunately, that has happened. So, you know, this. this and
3: speaking of, of this happening, I mean, it just happened in uh, a story from Jones County. Uh, just recently, involving a homeowner who shot a suspected intruder in the arm, would would that be an example of someone who could use the castle doctrine as their
0: defense? It sounds like it would. Uh, I, I think I'm familiar with the case you're talking about. The, uh, the sheriff's department had a spokesman that went on uh, the news and told people basically that yes, this is a castle doctrine case, and uh, while they don't see it often, you know he expects to see it again. So uh, law enforcement's aware of it. And they do the best they can to to uh, honor it and go by it, but they still have to investigate because you do have the death of another person or the injury of another person, so it is going to be investigated
3: and so and and uh you know they, they what so what if if they are mistaken i mean what how does how does this all work out? I guess you know the the best way to put it is you don't claim self-defense unless you might be accused of of a crime i mean if you know you don't need to have a defense otherwise. And so how do do they look at situations like that to determine if self-defense was appropriate?
0: You really have to look at the total situation, uh, the totality of the circumstances, as we like to call it in the law. But you have to look at everything that the homeowner uh, or a rational homeowner would have been uh, apprised of and see if the reaction is something that's reasonable. Um, If it's not you're probably going to wind up charged and and have a jury answer that question. So, again, you know, if you can avoid any of this, it's the best thing to do. But at the same time, you have every right to defend yourself. So I wish I had a magic answer, but it really depends on the circumstances.
2: Find all of our Think Radio recordings from our website, mpbonline.org. This morning, we're talking about self-defense with our guest attorney, Francis Springer. We were very happy to have Francis on the show October 26th of 2021 when we talked about Miranda rights, which may be what you need if that self-defense doesn't work out for you. We have a couple of calls waiting. Let's go to Terry in Gulfport. Terry, we're glad you've called in to in legal terms today. What's your comment or question?
1: Oh, it's just a quick hypothetical question. I have heard, I've heard that your car is an extension of your home, for whatever that means. But let's assume a person stuck a, you're at an intersection, a person stuck a, a gun in your face and said, we need your car, a carjacking scenario, and I'm legally having a weapon in my car. What's going to happen if I decide I want to shoot this guy? Is that, uh, what happens?
0: The the Castle Doctrine, as passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, includes occupied vehicle. So it doesn't okay. necessarily, at least according to the wording of the statute, have to be your occupied vehicle. It just has to be someone breaking into an occupied vehicle that you would be in. So in that okay. situation specifically, I think you would be well within your rights. Okay.
1: Well, thank you very
0: much. <clears> Hope uh-huh. that doesn't happen. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye.
2: Let's go to Yazoo City and speak with Bobby. Bobby, we're glad you've called into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question for our guest, Francis Springer?
4: Okay, I've had a concealed carry permit, I think, for 28 years responsibly. And uh, everybody's telling me that you need an enhanced concealed carry. Well, I understood it the way I read uh, all the papers that came with the permit that private property rights, overrides any privilege permit. So what good would an enhanced permit do me in a situation where I could actually use it on somebody's private property?
0: The difference in the enhanced permit from the state's uh, general permit is there's training that's required to get it, which is uh, not a lot. I think it's eight hours training, something to that effect, and there, there are classes all over the state. But it permits a person to carry a firearm into many places that a person with just a general permit cannot. So that would be one reason, you know, someone would want an enhanced permit. Now, if a landowner is on their own land and they're not uh, prohibited otherwise from having a firearm under state or federal law, uh, they can carry a gun anywhere on their land. They don't need a permit.
4: Okay, what would be an example that the enhanced would uh – be a privilege to have instead of just a regular permit.
0: There there are certain places and uh just to come to mind, I think it's places that serve alcohol on the premises, uh things like that. There's certain <laughs> places you can't carry a, a gun otherwise.
4: Okay. Alcohol and guns don't make they don't mix up <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh thank you very much. Yes, sir. I,
0: I'm thank not you. gonna
4: get it's a hundred dollars plus eight hours training Uh,
0: sure and and in mississippi open carry you don't have to have either permit for open carry but it specifically has to be carried you know on the outside in a a sheath or holster
4: okay is that a loaded firearm is it charged up
0: yes it can be
4: okay okay thank you very much you answered all my questions i appreciate it
0: thank you sir
3: well i mean that kind of takes us to our next segment francis i mean so you know, uh, there's castle doctrine and, and general self-defense. What, but what about stand your ground? We heard a lot about stand your ground in the news, and some people call it the make-my-day doctrine. But that one kind of makes me a little bit nervous. But uh, what what is the stand your ground doctrine of self-defense?
0: Stand your ground, like, like we said earlier, I don't think the terminology is used in Mississippi, but it's in the same statute, the 97.315, uh, basically, it just, again, says you, you're you not duty-bound to retreat before using force. And it's just that if someone comes up to you and they're fixing to use force against you, you have the right to use immediate force to protect yourself. And really, in a practical setting, that's sometimes the only thing that's going to save you. Because if you turn to retreat, it's very likely someone's going to chase you or possibly use force at that point. So it's not fair to the person that's having to already react to a use of force to have to decide well i've got to back up first and then i can use force so i think the uh legislature got that one right but again i I recommend people before you get in this situation do as much training as you can because they're professional law enforcement officers sometimes they get in these situations and and it doesn't work and it's nothing they've done it's just a very stressful and uh, trying
5: scenario
2: Today, we're joined by Java Chapman, who's our board operator. Java, you want to chime in about something?
5: Yeah, I have a question because I think sometimes when we talk about uh, stand your ground and maybe even the castle doctrine, but it's a little more um, concrete because you have your home and your car when it comes to the castle doctrine. But the stand your ground is more so, I guess, of a perceived type of threat sometimes it is
0: it it would apply you know like i said earlier anywhere that you're at and you have a legal right to be that's not your home vehicle business and place of employment Uh, because threats do happen when we're at a park or at a mall this out and the other and it's just the ability to immediately uh, respond to the threat that's placed against you
5: yeah but i I think I guess it's like i mean myself i'm a I'm a big guy mm-hmm. so a perceived threat for me may not be the same for i guess on the opposite end of a spectrum a little old lady, but she may be packing <laughs> that's true, <laughs> so you know it's i think sometimes um and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's just more of a you know we are.
2: Who's judging the perceived
0: threat?
5: There we go, the perceived threat, threat yeah.
0: Right. It's, um, that's, a, that's a very gray area. Uh, you know, you know, a big guy like yourself, uh, like me, I mean, somebody with a knife or a gun could take us down you know, just as quickly as they could, the, the little lady. So, but a
5: lot of times you do see these uh, uh, stand-your-ground laws applied to people who were armed, but the perceived threat was from people who were unarmed.
0: Right, right, and that's that's a question that's going to get down to the investigation, you know, and the facts, and and what the person that used the force rationally would have believed, not necessarily what they believed, but what a rational person in that situation would have believed.
2: Oh, so the irrational people need the ones to watch out.
0: It can't be used as an, as an excuse to murder
3: someone. But Java raises an important question because it could be that you know if you're uh, if someone is. Um, a racially different person in a neighborhood that doesn't have many people who are racially different. That person may be perceived to be a threat, even though they're not. Um, And so uh, with that, um, you know, then you get into that. was that I thought I was being threatened just by that person being there. Would that be enough to to trigger the stand your ground law?
2: Well, and, and I guess I'm thinking size, too. You know, my little boy was a big one. And, you know, a lot of people might have thought he was grown up when he was just a little kid because he was a one.
0: Right. And those are situations, you know, that a, a investigator is going to have to consider, uh, prosecuting attorneys will have to consider, uh, potentially a grand jury will have to consider, and then possibly even to a trial jury. So, you know, the situation is very fact-dependent, uh, and really it depends on how it's interpreted by others. We've seen some serious uh, issues where people have actually created situations where they've tried to apply the similar defense, and it doesn't apply. So it's got to be a a truly point of being victimized to respond to that.
3: Well, Then let's flip the switch on that one, because let's say that somebody's attacking me, and I surprise them, and I I get the upper hand, and they start to run away. Um, So they're no longer really threatening me, but can I go after them and harm them or kill them, still arguing self-defense?
0: I don't think you can argue in self-defense at that point uh, because there's nothing to defend from because the threat's over, and we can't just retaliate against people. That's what the law's for. Uh, Nothing says you couldn't follow that person or or watch them and get law enforcement to where they can get them, Uh, but you can't just follow them and and say, hey, there they are and we'll shoot them. Uh, That's been done a couple of times, uh, and unfortunately those people are sitting in prison today. So uh, it's definitely a a perceived immediate threat.
2: Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Don't forget 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. We're talking with Attorney Francis Springer. And we were happy to have Francis on our show on April 12th of 2022 when we talked about criminal defense, which is another bit of information you might need to know if uh, self-defense doesn't work out for you after you've had your actions. But let's go to JW in Indianola, who has called with a question. JW, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question for the show?
1: I just have a question about uh, open carry. I haven't done really study about it. Uh, I have a small, uh, little two revolver. It's a North American Arms type revolver. It's very small, and I wanted to know how I would if I would be considered open carry. Oh, you, I don't know how to carry it where it would be seen. So, does the what are the rules on that? Does, does the the weapon have to be where you can, anybody can see it? Because oh, if I just stuck it inside my belt, they might not see it
0: that's that's true, and sticking it inside your belt is going to be concealing it, so it has to be in a in a holster you know that's made for it or or one that uh it will fit or a sheath is what the statute says so that's going to be the the minor difference between open carry and concealed carry because um, I believe the way it is now if it's stuck partially in your pants uh you need to have a concealed carry permit
1: okay no I'm not familiar with the sheath
0: what is that? It's terminology in the statute. It's, it's basically a type of holster. Uh, it's kind of a, an older term, but there there's some that are made that just kind of generally fit firearms. Uh, and you may can find one for the uh, the gun that you have in question.
1: Okay. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
0: Sure. Thank you.
2: Thank you, J.W., and we are very glad to have our guest, uh, attorney Francis Springer, on the show today. We were talking about if someone's attacking you and you retreat, and okay, someone is attacking you, but then the attacker retreats, at what point do you stop being the attackee and then become the attacker?
0: That's another one of those, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh the statute does say that you can't pursue someone that's committed a felony. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a decision someone's going to have to make. Uh, if the person's fleeing, I don't see how you'll be justified in using deadly force against that person unless they turn around and, again, uh, attack you or, or do something like that. And, again, it's very, very fact-dependent on the totality of the circumstances. So, in my opinion, the best rule of thumb is to try to get law enforcement there if you can. Let them deal with what they can. Uh, if not, that's what the, the laws are for. And I would suggest anybody and everybody uh, check out this section, 97-3-15 in the code, because it's, it's pretty detailed and it, it explains a lot of rights that you have. And, Francis, so you're,
3: you're a defense attorney, uh, and and somebody comes to you and says, well, I, you know, I killed somebody, but it was self-defense. What type of – because it does depend. So what type of evidence do you want them to have for you to help you present their case?
0: The best thing I could advise to someone in a situation like this is to exercise your rights to remain silent. Uh, That's going to feel like you're hiding something or you have something to hide, but that is not the case. matter of fact, there's a recent Supreme Court decision – I'll say recent – it was authored by – Uh, Justice Scalia, but it, it reaffirms that the Fifth Amendment right to remain silent is for innocent people. So it's your right to remain silent. There's a lot of things that will be going on, but do that. And then when you come to your attorney, you can explain exactly what happened because that will be confidential and can't go anywhere. And the attorney needs to know everything to be able to prepare to defend that. So the best thing they can do is just be able to explain and justify the reason they use the force they did and again it's is very fact dependent
2: we have a email and it, it's not really on self-defense but it does talk about being you know who has the right to be somewhere the email says uh by county divorce court order I have the marital domicile on a specific date. I entered the property at half past midnight on that date. My former spouse is still there and not cordial. Deputies were called by both parties. Is the, you know, am I the trespasser or is the spouse who wasn't supposed to be there on that date the trespasser?
0: The one that is not supposed to be there at that time, I think, would be the trespasser. And what they're going to look at to define that is just that. It's the order. Uh, without that judge having the ability to to make a judgment there, you just look strictly within the order itself. And uh, law enforcement has the ability to act on that, and uh, it would be their call immediately.
2: Well, I, I would yeah. certainly hope there then on orders people would say, You know, if they mean if they mean Monday, then they got to mean one minute after Sunday or
0: that technically would be the next day. Uh, So I I would keep a copy of the order, you know, at all times. That way you can show it to law enforcement when when they arrive, if they arrive Uh, and make sure you follow that order.
3: But, you know, you've been a police officer. You you get to the scene and what you want to do is try to get everybody calmed down and, and prevent things from getting worse. And you Correct. may not have a copy of the order, they may not have a copy of the order, so you know first they're going to they 're going to sort it out you know to keep the peace right now and then let the parties figure out the legal rights right the next day or
0: so very true
2: so we've been talking today about self defense the castle doctrine we've mentioned the uh, annotated code section ninety seven three fifteen which i'll have a link to on this it show information page. So, uh, Francis, recap it again for us. What is self-defense and when am I legally able to apply self-defense and it's not on bad on me?
0: Sure, sure. Uh, self-defense really breaks down into two aspects in Mississippi, the Castle Doctrine. It would be one where it applies to a, a residence that you're at or a building that you're in i I think the statute even breaks it down to if you're in a tent Uh, so so those type of things that's why i encourage people to read that if someone breaks into that or forces entry into that you're presumed to believe that they're there to hurt you and they've committed a felony or fixed to commit a felony so you can use deadly force against them and as far as the stand your ground again you have no duty to retreat before you use deadly force against someone who is fixing to do the same to you so it really comes down to a defense of one's person and can possibly in certain cases be extended to defending someone else so again it's very fact dependent i, I recommend people to get training on this and and be prepared because it's a uh, very very trying time if it does it happen I, I hope it doesn't happen and, for you
3: and yeah you know, francis would you again from a former police officer point of view that you know people put themselves sometimes in positions where they probably shouldn't have been there to begin with, and then they have to defend themselves. I mean, uh, you know, how how do you talk to clients? How do you talk to people in your your former drunk position about, you know, trying to avoid those situations?
0: Again, avoidance is the best uh, if if it can be done. Uh, I wouldn't say go looking for any of this. There are people maybe that go out and and hope they can be a, a hero, uh, some of those can, some can't, and <clears throat> excuse me, mainly it's because you don't know what you're going to be faced with. Even if you are justified in what you do and uh, are protected by this law, it's still going to be a long and hard road. So that's why I say prevention, if at all possible, is the best uh, deterrent. Lock our doors, you know, make it hard, make it a hard target, and uh, hopefully you won't have to deal with this.
2: And I guess the more. The more strength you would bring to self-defense, maybe the more knowledge. Um, I don't know. If you're going to self-defend yourself with the baseball bat, uh, that, you know, if you then self-defended yourself with the gun, you might need more knowledge, more information on yourself.
0: Right, right. You need to know. As best as you can, and, and really it's impossible to know until you get there, what you would do in that situation. Because if you are armed and you don't use it, it's very likely the person will take your weapon and use it against you. Um, so it's a, it's a really tough call. I've known police officers that have gotten to that point and they couldn't use deadly force. It's no shame in it, but you just have to realize that. And, and from
3: a criminal defense uh, point of view i mean i have you know I'm, as a as an estate planner people come to me and say what should i do and how do i set this up to, to to get the best result you probably you probably don't have people calling you ahead of time and saying okay you know i think i think what i want to do is this crime but exactly <laughs> you know, um, so you know what is there advice you can give people how when do they need you at what point do they need to talk to a criminal defense lawyer
0: Anytime someone feels like they're being investigated or may be investigated or may have committed a crime, uh, it's best to consult with an attorney, you know, as soon as possible, because it, it may have been ad- inadvertently committed a crime. Oops, and you need to start, committed a crime. Right. You need to start uh, working on a defense then. And everybody makes mistakes. You know, some of us get caught. Uh, some of us don't. So the biggest thing is you've got rights in this country. Uh, and it's the best justice system there is in the world, even with its imperfections. And the best advocate a person can have is a defense attorney, although they're not looked at very brightly in a lot of lights. Uh, they're kind of the, the defense between a totalitarian government and freedom. So definitely consult with one as quick as you can if you feel like you need it. Well, there
3: are cases where the prosecutor will get to the someone who's been accused of a crime pretty quickly and start to uh, offer a deal to them. Should that person say, wait a minute, I want to talk to an attorney first, or... Should they accept that deal?
0: Uh, my recommendation is is don't do anything without an attorney. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes, uh, and I think it's a bad thing, uh, sentences come down harder if you don't admit to a crime, whether you've done it or not. Uh, and that's a situation where the individual would have to make that determination. Uh, fairness, total fairness would be the same penalty regardless, because there are some people that have not committed the crimes that take the the plea because it's the least amount of punishment they'll get if they if they don't prevail so it's not always fair it's not always great but uh you definitely need to know your rights whether you know them on your own or a question from an attorney that's an individual decision but i wouldn't recommend anybody do anything like that without advice of an attorney and that prosecutor cannot give a defendant advice
2: oh and at least according to the the tvs and the movies don't believe them uh, you need to uh, don't believe them when they, when they promise, oh, you won't get in trouble. Or We
0: we have some very ethical prosecutors in the state, and I can say we have some very unethical prosecutors in the state. Uh, so that's why you need an attorney that's looking out for nobody but you.
2: Thank you so much. You're a busy guy, and you gave an hour of your time to participate with us, and we don't take that lightly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you all again. I enjoyed it.
2: Well, we'll have uh, Francis Springer's contact information and some links of things that we've talked about on the show information for this. Don't forget our that uh, website MPB Online. slash radio is where you can find recordings of all MPB shows. So thank you, Charles Arnold, our intern, for answering the phones. Thank you, Java Chapman, for being our board engineer. And thank you, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law for being our expert every week. I'm Liz Gill. Please join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m